this program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> I'll give you a choice. I could put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. You maniacs! What is a man? When we are successful, we will be. We had a real chance with this. Constructed of colonies has suffered a continuing pandemic known as COVID 19. Our readers have been reconstructed to stand by to annihilate all humanoid civilization. I find your reasoning logical. The humanoids are rioting and destroying each other in many cities around the planet Earth, leaving our readers to retreat back to the Cylon base ship. A foolish miscalculation of the humans. The continuation of this pandemic has brought the humanoid renegades to a state of confusion, paranoia, and mental stress. The final annihilation of the life form known as man. Let the attack begin. By your command, Imperious Leader. By your command, it's episode 42 of Behind the Schemes for April 26. This is Booberry Mothman of the Miniocalypse. Hello, and uh, my name is Lavish, and I don't know what I'm of, but here I am. <laughs> You're of being, my dude. I am of the world, my friends. And the world is of me. That's right. Jesus. We can, are the world. Can we get much more romantic in the first three minutes of the episode? Uh, good question. We'll try next time. <laughs> uh, you've been all right since last week? Uh, I've been doing very well. Uh, things are starting to kind of get warm around here. I uh, hope things are getting warm where you're at. Uh, you know, it's actually been kind of snowing off and off and on again for the past couple of days. <laughs> oh, well, damn. Let's cut that out. We don't need any more of that. It's over. Fuck us, right? It's fucking May almost. It's gonna be, I won't do it. Never mind. I take that back. I almost did it. And it couldn't be more appropriate because it literally is going to be. (laughs) Do you remember that part of the pandemic from last year? Uh, (laughs) All the the first like three months, basically. Yeah. All the memes. It's going to be May before we get out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That first three months of COVID was a very interesting time. One of the most interesting times uh, that I've ever lived through. No doubt. I mean, the rules did not apply. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and right within that window, too, it's when all the uh, mini-ocalypse riots popped off, too. So exactly. it was just yeah. kind of like, oh, we're going to walk back the 
the lockdown restrictions a little bit just in time to <laughs> burn it all down. <laughs> just in time to have a gnarly riot in your city that then launches a you know, what has become a national and international movement. All of the BLM and, and race stuff that we've seen since then really is the the Minneapolis riots were the catalyst for all that. Mm-hmm. That's where it kind of all started. It's kind of a mind fuck to think that we're coming up on a year since all that. Yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was, uh, it was two weeks to flatten the curve last year. <laughs> yep. Two weeks, which was 60 weeks ago <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. Well, before we get too far and I end up forgetting tonight's tarot card from the, the official behind the schemes tarot deck, it's the Hordorowski deck. Uh, we drew the eight of wands. At least I hope it's the eight of wands because it's kind of hard to tell. Um, the eight of wands. If you look at the rest of this desk, uh, this deck, it's uh, all of the sweet cards um, are or all the suit cards are. They're very stylized, so it's actually kind of hard to tell the difference between like the the wands and the swords are the big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the eight of wands, I went to tarot guide, Oh my god, tarotguide.com for the meeting for tonight. Hastiness, speed, progress, movement, action, rushing, exciting times, travel, freedom, holiday, holiday romances, taking off, gaining momentum, ahead, thinking on your feet, sudden action, hard work, paying off, results, solutions, energetic, positive, infatuation, obsession, being swept off of your feet, and jumping in. That's a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, But that's good. I like all those things. Those are good things. I oddly enough, I feel the same way. And, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely coming up into a stride here on the show. Um, we're in the process of working out a couple of things, but the one thing that we know for sure is you should leave us a scream mail. Oh yeah. You should definitely leave us. You got to call the phone line and leave your spookiest scream at uh, 612-263-7999. That's 612-263-SEXY. We are humbly patiently awaiting your screams. (laughs) So patiently. Uh, (laughs) Sir Spencer from Bowl After Bowl sent us this amazing ditty. We told you who was behind the schemes, but you'll never know who's behind the screens. Call our creep phone now and leave a scream mail. We'll play it on the show. 612-263-SEXY. 612-263-SXXY. That's 612-263-7999. Oh, give it to me. Just like that. That's a good CB shit. CB33. <laughs> I had to smoke a bowl in Spencer's honor. Thank you, Sir Spencer. Thank you, DeLorean, for that great promo. Yeah. That, that's, uh, I don't know how, but y'all fucking spoke straight to me. Just got yeah. right up in there. It's like, yep, this is exactly what this sort of motherfucker likes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Knocked it on home. Um, we have a website, BehindTheSchemes.com, SCH3M3S. You can go there and listen to this show live every Mondays at uh, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. You can access our green room chat there. Like we said beforehand, plenty of amazing people. So get on in there. Uh, you can email us at BehindTheSchemes at ProtonMail.com. And for all of this, this is always going to be SCH3M3S. Ooh, uh. Was there anything else we had to pimp? Uh, I don't believe so. Don't think at this current juncture. 
Oh, if you go to Zoso's Corner, Z-O-S-O-S corner.substack.com, you can subscribe and uh, all of our show notes will be emailed out to you at the beginning of the show, which is a pretty, pretty fucking fun and in my opinion, uh, mm-hmm. they'll also be featured in the chats if you're hanging out there. So come on in. Yeah, they're nice notes. Very clean. And they're only going to get tighter. I mean, like, I'm not I'm not joking when I say we got some we got some shit planned. That's right. Things are in motion, just like the tarot card says. Uh, things are things are going with the with the winds, as they say. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, there was one last thing. If uh, if you ever feel like. Being a producer of Behind the Schemes and joining our ranks of Freaks of Hazards, you can go to our website, check out, a, we have a donation button through PayPal and a link to a Sphinx tribe. Um, the Sphinx is a lot of fun. And if there's anybody that has any wind of what I'm talking about and is interested in hanging out with us in there, hit me up. You can email me at boo.burrymothman. That's B-U-R-Y, Mothman, at ProtonMail.com, and uh, we'll get you in there, get you chatting, get you boosting, get you streaming sats. Get you sphinxing. We'll be sphinxing. Oh, fuck. You're going to make me sphinx. Ha <laughs> ha. You just made $100. Every time someone says that, you, you make uh, another five. Oh, yeah. Now I just yeah. got to figure out a way to monetize the love is lit. <laughs> yeah. You got a little uh, uh, accidental hit on your hands. You're going to have to ride the wave. Love is Lit, I think, is going to be around for a little bit. It was uh, It was fun. It was part of the uh, uh, donation note that I've wanted to send for a long time. Finally de-douched myself, even though I forgot to ask for the de-douching because, you know, it's fucking amateur well, hour. You're not really a douchebag. I think that if you, I mean, it's one thing to give money, but it's another thing to just like, contribute in the in the way that you contribute which is you have a show on their network and you spend a bunch of time you know you, you listen to the show you're I'll not prob- really a douchebag i'll probably i'll probably listen to the show twice in a given day depending on if i'm working or not because like i'll mm-hmm. try and catch what i can in the morning and then once it releases and i'm at work straightening light bulbs i'll just turn around and listen to it again mm-hmm. you just have it going yep but then you have you contribute to their network you know, the, the whole thing is they have a podcast network and you created a podcast on it, which is this one that you're listening to right now. Yeah. Behind the Schemes. On the Scaly Show. It's the official name for the stream. We got all sorts of fun fucking names for our stuff. <laughs> lots of names. Oh, you know what? I want to do this one. We haven't done this one in a minute. Hey, man, if you don't get behind the schemes, the schemes will get behind you. They're going to get behind you. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Lorian speaks the true, true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, once again, call 612-263-7999. Leave us a screen mail, and um, I think it's a proper time we step into our show for tonight. Um, yes, indeed. To start us off, Corcus reminded us that we have a full moon tonight, which is pretty amazeballs. Um, yes, we have a pink moon. Yep. It is the first of two supermoons that will be featured in 2021. The second one's going to be May 26th. Um, right before my birthday. Oh, another Gemini. That's right. Oh, yeah. And uh, it should be a real funky weekend, I think. Hey, that's. I just had a fun sort of cidery thought. It's like, oh, you're wind and I'm fire. We're just going to feed each other. <laughs> 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 Uh, whatever you say, I don't know. I don't know any of this shit. I'm a student of the esoteric knowledge. And that's why they're coming, because no Biden's a good guy. 
Oh, yeah. Everyone knows Biden's a real good guy. Um, the April's full moon often corresponded with the early springtime blooms of a certain wildflower native to eastern North America, the Phlox sublutata, sub, sublulata, sub, sublulata, commonly called creeping phlox or moss phlox, which also went by the name of moss pink. Hmm. Uh, it's also known as the broken ice moon, moon when the streams are again navigable. That's from the Dakota tribe. Uh, budding moon of plants and shrubs and the moon of the red grass appearing. I'd say that this stream is very navigable, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, this <laughs> it's it might be it might be one of the more obscure streams out there, but it is most definitely navigable. God, that's a that's a hard word for me. Navigable, navigable. That's like a the name of a ferry. Semi ferry navigable. Uh, I don't know, something like that. Uh, the the pink moon should grow into its full fullness in a little bit of time. Uh, Eleven thirty, I think, central. Eleven thirty, blueberry time. Hmm. Which right now it's what ten, so an yep. hour and a half. Yep, sounds about right. Uh huh. Man, we've had all sorts of cool shit during this show: lightning storms, full moons. I think this is the second full moon that uh, you and I have talked about, is it not? I think so, and I'm pretty sure this is only like my third or fourth show with you. <laughs> fourth. And every time it's like, oh my god, just lightning, full moon, something. Yep. Um. Oh, and I just had it there too. Ugh, I hate that shit. So one thing that I don't look forward to getting older is just watching my memory deteriorate right in front of my very eyes. Yeah, (laughs) the weed is definitely not helping with that. Not one bit. Um, Well, I guess we should uh, officially get to what what topic we're on tonight. And you and I had discussed a post-show last week that maybe we should look at the voices inside of our head. This is correct. This is correct. The, the The central theme of tonight's show will be the voice inside your head, uh, which, of course, means a couple of different things. You know, certain things that come to mind. When we talked about it, you had your kind of ideas of what that meant. I had my ideas of what that meant. Yours, I think, went more along the lines of, like, ethics and um, the more complex aspects of human psychology. And then mine kind of went more towards, like, the basics of, like, just the shit that we take for granted with that little uh, voice in your head that is that is a reflection of your consciousness. And it's a really fun thing to talk about. It's, it's a weird thing to exist. Like, we don't know if it exists in other animals, uh, you know, in the exact same way or not. We don't know how language affects it, how much it affects it, how much it doesn't. And uh, it's, it's a fun little uh, thing to, to discuss, I think. The voice in your head. Do you think... Or would it be appropriate to just go ahead and assume that it was mushrooms that gave walking primates the the fire of knowledge and put that voice inside their head? That's a very realistic hypothesis, I think. It's it's very plausible, I think. Uh, Mushrooms, if you do mushrooms for a long time, uh, I may have a friend or two who's done that, then you do reach this weird sort of state of mind that... If you did it all the time, you would you would just live a completely different, very wholesome, very holistic life. Because it just there's something about it that gives you something. But yeah, I love that theory. They've talked about that. They've talked about the uh, what's the uh, you know the red and white mushroom. Oh, the, the Santa Claus one. The Santa Claus one. Yeah, yeah. All that sort of mythos is fascinating. And primates coming out of Africa ate a bunch of mushrooms for 
generations and developed the the rudimentary foundations of what we call consciousness. How would you feel about kicking this party off? Um, just because all of the shit that I brought sort of splinters into multiple directions. So it, that one's going to be a little more, um, we're going to do some more waiting in that one. I don't know how much of a dive we're, we're due for tonight. If that makes any yeah. sense. Uh, you know, we don't want to get too worried about it because it can be pretty deep. We, we just kind of want to have fun with it and brush the, the topic a bit. Well, before you jump into it, I do want to pose this question. And this isn't, it, it didn't take this episode for me to wonder this. If there's you and then there's the voice inside of your head, who's the one listening to the voice? And who's the speaker? Yeah. Is it you or is it not you or is it both? <laughs> Oh, and Servo dropped some uh, knowledge in the green room. Amantia Muscaria. Amanita Muscaria. Thank you. <laughs> Amanita Muscaria. Yeah. That's the that's the Santa Claus mushroom. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's seen the there's a Joe Rogan bit that he does on it talking about the, the, the shamans that went in olden times and they would drop they would collect the mushrooms and then they would drop them down the little hut chimneys. Uh, giving it to to the villagers, the the herbalist would go through, and instead of going through the door, they just drop it down. They drink reindeer piss. The reindeer would eat the mushrooms, and the reindeer would get high, and they would drink the piss and get high off the piss. Everybody wins. <laughs> yeah. So you have flying reindeer. Yeah. It's it's uh it's a wonderful idea, I think, and it's probably it probably holds a lot of water. This is all Mickey Mouse shit, man. Yeah. All <laughs> magic. <laughs> it is magic. Magic piss. I mean, there's crazier things that have been done. Let's not bring up the the cat reconstituted coffee beans again. No, we don't have to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. Crazier things have been done. Oh lordy, that's right. So I suppose I can uh, get into it a little bit. Um, when I think of the, the voice in your head, I kind of think of how the ancient peoples dealt with that sort of a concept, like what we're talking about with the mushroom or with apes gaining consciousness in the first place. There's kind of a, a theory that I think for the most part is debunked, but it's an interesting theory regardless, and it, and it finds itself in fiction all the time. And it's the idea of the bicameral mind, which is the idea that you know there's two main parts of the brain, one that speaks and one that listens. And that um, ancient man, you know, when they developed consciousness, and uh, in particular when they developed written language, or at least a spoken language with certain symbols, you have the idea that early man must have thought themselves schizophrenic or, or that, that they were hearing divine voices because for the first time they had this internal monologue. Um, and that's, you know, like I said, it's, it's not really a very popular idea, but there is... In fiction, like I said, they borrow from it. And if you've ever seen the show Westworld, which is based off a of Michael Crichton book, and there was a, uh, the movie, the Yul Brenner movie back in the 70s, but on HBO remade Westworld into a show. And the whole idea behind Westworld is that there's like a, a, a theme park w with a bunch of robots that look like real people and they act like real people, but they, they aren't real. They're just machines and they don't have actual free will or anything like that. But the guy who's trying to make the robots give them free will, he gives them a bicameral mind. And his that's the idea that uh, that he has to, to have machines 
develop their own sense of what I guess we'd call artificial intelligence, but what they call, you know, a soul or a consciousness. And I actually have a clip. I, don't, I say any of these clips, uh, you think you can play them through? Yeah, I'm looking at them. Uh, this uh, Westworld one? Westworld one, yeah. A host began to pass the Turing test after the first year. But that wasn't enough for Arnold. He, he wasn't interested in the appearance of intellect, of wit. He wanted the real thing. He wanted to create consciousness. He imagined it as a pyramid. Memory, improvisation, self-interest. And at the top? Never got there. But he had a notion of what it might be. He based it on a theory of consciousness called the bicameral mind. The idea that primitive man believed his thoughts to be the voice of the gods. I thought it was debunked. No, it's a theory for understanding the human mind, perhaps, but not as a blueprint for building an artificial one. You see, Arnold built a version of their cognition in which the hosts heard their programming as a, an inner monologue with the hopes that in time their own voice would take over. It was a way to bootstrap consciousness. Hmm. I've seen this, but I forgot that that little bit of uh, plot. Yeah, and it's interesting that they go the route of, like, we know this isn't really true for people, but it could be true for machines, so we, we tried it on them. But regardless, the point I bring it up is just to, to stress the point we're talking about this internal monologue, this thing that exists within you that has existed, of course, for as long as people have been people. And the ancients had a lot of different ways to describe it. And throughout the millennia, there have been a lot of words and ideas to describe this thing. Um, but it has been compared to, you know, the voice of God or an angel or even demon. And I think that's kind of your angle on it is that there's... There's a lot of voices in your head, I think. There's more than one, uh, essentially, or at least more than one angle that your psyche tries to th throw at you. And, and we'll get to that a little later. But um, in ancient times, uh, the idea is they, they had uh, a couple names for this sort of voice in your head. Socrates uh, called it a daemon. <laughs> and the Greeks in general seemed to call it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and if you go down the line, you actually find that this word lead, lends itself to democracy. Uh, the oh, word I... democracy has daemon roots. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's not even one of those things I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I love uh, etymology. If you go, if you see the relationship of words through the history, through the history of time, you can find some incredibly uh, wonderful stuff, some great revelations. I love but, democracy. <laughs> Can we play that every episode? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I spam the fuck out of that one. Oh, I love Emperor. democracy. The Emperor is maybe the greatest character of all time, of our lifetime. Um, anyway, have you heard of, of the Daemon before? I know that it's kind of popular in other things like uh, the Golden Compass, if anyone's ever read Dark Materials series. Uh, actually, my sister was very much into the his Dark Materials. Mm -hmm. um, I, I never, I never picked them up because I didn't trust her after Twilight. Uh. I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't read Twilight on her recommendation. I read Twilight <laughs> purely out of spite, just to talk a massive amount of shit on it. When she said, "Hey, you can't talk shit about this. You haven't even read it." 
And so you read it. That's that's some petty shit. In a in a week, <laughs> I read all four books in a weekend. I'm sorry, in a weekend. <laughs> well, it just goes to show how easy those things are to, to <laughs> you know blast through. I suppose. Still a better story than Twilight. That's my. That's a great meme. I've never read it. I've never seen the movie. I've had girls in the past that have tried to show me the movie, and I'm like, I kind of watch it. I kind of don't. I just I kind of glaze over. It's okay. We don't. We don't have to spend any more headspace on on Twilight. Yeah. That's yeah, uh, no. not necessary. It's not necessary. These uh, uh, these demons though. Oh, give it to me. Let's do it. <laughs> so in his dark materials in the in the Golden Compass um, in those books. The daemon is like a little animal that you can talk to. That's your soul. It's it's a it's a part of you, and uh, it's kind of like a patronus sort of. It's it's like your animal embodiment, and you know it's so precious to you that people can't even touch it. Like only you can touch it, and only you can like. And if you lose it, then you you know you're the shell of a person or whatever. And so that kind of all has root in his dark materials. Is a lot of biblical stuff. But it's the idea of this sort of thing that's a part of you that is you, but it isn't you, and it's divine, and it represents some sort of virtue or some sort of you know measure of your um, talents and your soul. And so in, in Greece, in ancient Greece, they called it a daemon. That's where it all comes from there. And Socrates was so into his daemon that that's basically what he ran on. Like that was his main, according to you know, writings and stuff. He, that was his main uh, motivator and his main critic of himself. He had this voice in his head that he took with him wherever he went. And uh, I have a, I have a clip about no other than Dr. Jordan B. Peterson talking about Socrates' Damon. Uh, If you can play JPB Damon 1. See, I I have this, I followed this rule for a very long time, which I actually found was a Socratic rule. I didn't know this until really quite recently until I wrote 12 Rules for Life. Socrates said that he had a, a daemon, and by which he meant an internal voice. And um, he said that it all, he always listened to it. And then that was what made him different from other people, that he always listened to this voice. And the voice didn't tell him what to do. It told him what not to do. And um, when the Delphic Oracle proclaimed that Socrates was the wisest man in Greece, um, in Athens, and in Greece, uh, one of the reasons Socrates attributed her decision to deem him the wisest man was because, well, she said he knew he knew nothing, but he knew in part that he knew nothing, at least in part because he was always listening to the voice of his daemon, his internal conscience. Internal conscience, wow. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, a big deal and still is. Uh, but it's funny to think that that was such an important motivation for him. Uh, uh, anyway, do you have any thoughts on the, uh, on the matter? Well, I, I kind of got sidetracked for a second cause I was, I was trying to remember if the Disney cartoon where they're talking about the golden ratio, if they, if, if they're talking about Socrates, um, and I guess that's where I'm, I'm hung up. Did Socrates do like the, uh, the musical fifths and, and figuring out all of the, um, oh my God, not the perspectives, but the, just the, the ratios between the, music and, uh, I think that was Plato, Plato but I could okay. be wrong because Plato was, was much more of a, a mathematician and, uh, and, and he had, you know, the solids, the platonic solids and things like that. Gotcha. I, so, but, 
but I could be wrong. So Socrates is walking around and he's listening to him to maybe not himself. It doesn't sound like he's subscribed to the idea that it's him talking on the inside, but he, he's talking to this voice of maybe not a voice of reason, but a moral compass that he's called a daemon. It's almost like a, a voice that tells him you could be wrong. And okay. that's the main motivation behind it. And I think Socrates' main power and influence was that he questioned everything and he would he would turn on a dime. He would believe in something his whole life and then come to a revelation and then completely switch because he just had the, the philosophical foundation of this is more practical or this is more, you know, I just figured something out, so this is the way it should be. And, uh, and you shouldn't be stuck in your ways. And his thing, like JPB said, JBP, is he, he was the smartest man in Greece because he knew nothing. And this daemon in his head was, I think, that voice that told him that he knew nothing. You know, you're, you're, you're full of it. You don't, you don't know for sure that this is true, whatever it was, about whatever subject he, he was on about. Wow. Uh, and then that leads to just critical thought in general, just the foundation of critical thought as we, as we have it in the Western world. So what you're saying is that there's a shit ton of people out there that are lacking their inner daemon? Well... That's what people tell me. Uh, I hope that's not true. I But there are people that definitely are more cerebral and people that are less cerebral. People There are people that spend all day long inside their own heads. And there are other people that are very in the moment and that don't really spend a lot of time in their heads. And uh, the question is, you know, do, do they just not have an internal monologue at all? I don't, you know, I don't know. That that was that was part of the thing that kicked this conversation off is that it was something I had mused to you post stream or post show last week. Just just the idea of do you know, there's some people out there that I that I really wonder sometimes if they have any sort of internal dialogue going on or if it's just a total go with the flow of the moment, which is that even a bad thing? I don't know, but. I, I guess with the lens of looking at it from a more of a just a shitty place and, and seeing everybody that, for example, like let's take the social media memes, for example, that lean one specific way and, and it could go for any group. They, they just kind of fall in line, just repeat. You know, they become like a, a, a fucking <laughs> broadcast booster or something. A hive mind. Yeah. Yeah. Is is I don't know. It's a uh, full discretion. I'm one of those people that I prefer to listen to something uh, with any amount of free time that I got. And by free time, I mean at work. Like mm -hmm. if, I, if I don't have to be talking to anybody, I'm usually listening to shows. And um, just because at some point I got to fucking take a break for myself because I go just deep and nonstop in my own mm -hmm. head. I'm much more one of those buried sort of people. Yeah, I I'm the same way when I'm working or when I'm trying to focus, it's nice to have something going on in the background because I do. Yeah. My internal monologue is pretty active and I'll get sidetracked very easily. <laughs> Start thinking about something, get interested in some obscure thing. Yeah. But with, with a podcast or something going on in the background, it kind of helps with that sometimes. Yeah. But oh, yeah. it's just a simple thing. Like when we're talking about people that may, may not have an internal dialogue or monologue, I should say, a dialogue, actually. They at least have the very basic ability of being like, oh, where are my keys? Like in their head. Like they're able to formulate those words in their head in their own voice. Like, where are my keys? Oh, I've got clothes in the wash. Oh, I don't touch that. That's hot. Things like that. That very basic internal 
monologue that we have that we take for granted. I think just about everybody has that. And that in and of itself is is incredible. I don't know if animals really have that. We, there's no way of knowing. But when it comes to the to the language-based thought, that's that's a very important thing that I think differentiates humans from uh, from other things. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, but then again, some people have uh, some animals have magnets in their beaks, so you know they're cool too. <laughs> Man, I almost <laughs> wanted to get one of those uh, implantable magnets that you can get in, like in your fingers and shit. Oh uh, God! Yeah, it's got like a it's a it's a silicon wrapped uh, rare earth magnet. And if you were anywhere near feeder, it would buzz. That's <laughs> awful. Imagine. No, thanks. It's pretty cool. You can feel it vibrate through someone else's finger. Hmm. I definitely see people getting it. I want to be magnetic, bro. Dude, it's all magnets, baby. Magnets are the new thing, man. <laughs> Science magnets is out. In. Magnets are in. Magnets are in. <laughs> Yeah, I wish. Well, sir, Servo, the idea is not to be in a situation where I got to get an MRI. I think that would be my ultimate plan if I ended up or getting the magnet. Uh, but yes, yeah. back to back to Mr. Peterson and, and Socrates and his daemon. Yeah. So I got another one last clip and it kind of goes into, I mean, with uh, JBP and it talks about how far Socrates went with this daemon thing. The, the basic... What happened historically is that, well, so there was the concept of the Socratic daemon. Now, it was the daemon that Socrates listened to when he decided that he was not going to run when the Athenians decided that they were going to put him to death, the Athenian aristocrats, right? Because they thought that he was corrupting the youth by, you know, talking to them and telling them the truth. And I suppose that's certainly grounds for chasing someone out of your town. Um, anyways, they gave him plenty of notice because they didn't really want to kill him. They just wanted to get the old goat the hell out to some other city where he could cause trouble there. And he, his friends were, you know, making plans to, to scurry him away from Athens. Um, and he went out and consulted his daemon and it told him not to leave. And that was a big shock to Socrates because, of course, he didn't want to die. And uh, but yet he had decided that he was always going to follow the dictates of the daemon. Of the daemon, you got to cut that guy off. He never stops talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and if you know the story of of Socrates, the the general gist is you know he's kind of the the oldest and most OG of the of the Greek philosophers, but he was causing such a stir and his students, you know, were causing such a stir that they, uh, the uh, Athenian government had him put to death and yeah, he could have escaped, but he decided, I guess, to stay. And then he poisoned himself. He drank poison and died. And I think, uh, Plato was there personally, watched him die. Brutal. Uh, yeah. Well, that's Jesus. the, that's <laughs> the story of the beginning of uh, critical analysis in the Western world. <laughs> they oh. fucking killed him. Man, well, uh, based off of some of the stuff I pulled, it's all not going to come full circle. It's probably just going to stay right where we're at. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm glad. Uh, zero degrees of revolution here on Behind the Schemes tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we're all under the same moon tonight, baby. Don't you forget. Oh, hell yeah. Lavish fucking... <laughs> um, did you see that in the chats? He's he's picked up loveislit.com. 
Oh my God, Kev. Let me check this out. Oh, that's Whoa, amazing. Loveislit.com. Did you actually get it, Metis? Yeah. Oh my <laughs> goodness. So it's not loading for me, but it redirects to behind the schemes. That's cool as fuck. No way, really? Yeah. Why isn't it doing it for me then? Loveislit.com. Go. Thank you, Metis. You're a you're a freaking champion, man. The meat. <laughs> the meat. <laughs> Do your worst. <laughs> Lordy. Oh boy. Oh dear. Oh my. Love is lit, fam. Love is lit. Now I gotta figure uh, out a clever like uh days of our lives, but like moths drawn to the lamps, these is the times of love is lit. Blech. I don't know. Just have it be a really quick like three second love is lit. Like a Pokemon thing it's like pokemon it's like pokemon. you just gotta catch them all there you go you see see that <laughs> see that so i'm talking about baby uh no, anyway <laughs> thank you carolyn <laughs> carolyn thank you darling john great job <laughs> fabulous fabulous oh, it's been so long since i've listened to a trump clip i i've lost it not uh, like I thought I had a pretty good one. It's a very important story. <laughs> it's just huge story. Front page story. <laughs> oh man. R.I.P. that guy. Well, you know, he's rolling in his grave right now. Oof. Uh can I, <laughs> can I just say for the record, we got a moonbeam scream line tonight. Just just to reiterate, six one two two six three sexy. Uh we need a full moon uh, scream tonight, I think. Yeah. That but- would be so nice. Get it in there, folks. Seven nine nine nine. You know, Fletcher is such a soft-spoken man until he screams or yells, and he there's a lot of uh, yelling Fletcher out there. I gotta say. Oh yeah, I I feel like I'd seen someone bitching about it in the troll room, and they were I don't know who's just oh, fuck <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, trolls gonna troll, man. I like you it. Got some. I like some Fletcher trolls. screams. Me too. Um, me too. Do we only have two so far? Do you, since we've kind of taken a break this long, do you want to do one real quick? Screamo, two. or do you want to? Do you want to? We got a screamo. We got a scream on the line right now. We got we got two sitting in the inbox. Let's uh, let's crack one open. All right. This is the first screamo for tonight. Mm-mm. <laughs> Wow, that was fucking awesome. Oh my God. <laughs> that was so good, Caller. What a range of. Oh. <laughs> Holy shit. I, I want to I almost give him a fucking jingle for that one. Uh, we, we should maybe clip that and put it somewhere oh yeah, for we, a rainy day. We, we, got, we, got, we got him. We, we got him. Let's see. Let's do this one for him. Whoa! Holy shit! 
Color, you've officially spooked me. Thank you so much, Color. Yes. Phenomenal work. Phenomenal work. There was just so many. It was, it was like a, listening to a, like an opera or like a... Yeah, it doesn't matter. I won't he, even... He was like phasing in between Wolfman and Demon and fucking like... I don't know. There was some Hellraiser shit going on where the skin was like fucking coming up through the floor as he was building his skeleton, but like ripping it right back off. Like probably covered at least three or four octaves. I mean like a three octave range at least of just going like to a low to a high. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Spooky. Very spooky. Oh shit. That's what I forgot to do. I forgot to get the, there's something spooky going around these beer parts. From JCD. Damn. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. It's going on a sticky spook. Going on a sticky note. Okay. Yeah, whatever. We're back to it. So anyway, back to the voice in your head. The voice in your head. So I think kind of my, I think, I think what I'll have be sort of my uh, parting thought on it is the idea of language influencing your thoughts. And there are a couple sort of theories out there that say that language is the way that you think, that human beings couldn't even have this internal dialogue if we didn't actually have a language, a written language, um, which is a set of symbols that you can you know, conceptualize in your mind. And language is essentially a way of categorizing and simplifying you know, the world into a couple of basic characters that you can share. And you know, everyone's on the same page, quite literally. Um, and this is called linguistic determinism or the Sapir-Whorf theory, and which is easier because of Whorf. If anyone's a Star Trek fan out there, uh, you know who Whorf is. So this is, I guess, maybe his like great-great-grandfather or something. He was, he was part human, right? Yeah, he was. So uh, I have a clip here. Let's see here. What is this? Lyra Language 1. Now, of course, there isn't just one language in the world. There are about 7,000 languages spoken around the world. And all the languages differ from one another in all kinds of ways. So some languages have um, different sounds, they have different vocabularies, and they also have different structures, very importantly, different structures. That begs the question, does the language we speak shape the way we think? Now, this is an ancient question. People have been speculating about this question for forever. Uh, Charlemagne, Holy Roman Emperor, said, to have a second language is to have a second soul. Strong statement that language crafts reality. But on the other hand, Shakespeare has Juliet say, what's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Well, that suggests that maybe language doesn't craft reality. These arguments have gone back and forth for uh, thousands of years. Uh, I also had to give Shakespeare a shout out. I had to throw that in because it is Shakespeare's birthday today. Oh, shit. That's awesome. Yes, indeed. He would be 300 and something, 400 and something, 400 and 400 and something. Uh, but yeah, and as uh, Mr. Servo says in the chat, very truly, we can't imagine life without language. Um, I'll, I'll give like an example. Say you have the word, any word, like the word chair. When I say the word chair, you think of a chair. You can think of 12 chairs. You can think of 80 chairs, you know. And the word itself, chair, is its own symbol. You have the word, the five-letter word chair. And with that one symbol, you have attached, anchored all these other experiences and all these other ideas that you have of what a chair is and everybody has a different idea of a, of a different chair right and even though it's not the same thing the concept and the experience is the same thing 
And the idea is that if we didn't have the word chair, then your brain couldn't even conceptualize a chair because you don't have that anchoring symbol or glyph which harbors all of that information and categorizes it in your mind. So there is a sort of an argument to be made that human thought, of course, is very heavily based on language. The way that you perceive the world is very heavily influenced by your native tongue. And because languages are different, people experience the world kind of in a different way with their different languages. But there is, I think, I don't think that's the whole story. I think that there is an element of thought and of this internal monologue that doesn't have anything to do with language and has everything to do with a sort of unspeakable, visceral sort of experience that we all share, but we can't quite describe. And so for that, I give you uh, Alan Watts' True Silence. And this is a very famous pause for a clip here. Silence. I don't mean that kind of grim silence, which one observes when somebody says... Uh, such and such a famous person has just died and we'll observe a moment of silence in his honor. And everybody frowns and thinks very serious thoughts. That's not silence at all. I mean real silence in which we stop thinking and experience reality as reality is. Because after all, if I talk all the time, I can't hear what anyone else has to say. And if I think all the time, and by that I mean specifically talking to yourself subvocally inside your skull. If I think all the time, I have nothing to think about except thoughts. And so I'm never in touch with the real world. Now, what is the real world? Some people have the theory that the real world is material or physical. I say it's made a kind of a stuff. Other people have the theory that the real world is spiritual or mental. But I want you to point out that both those theories of the world are concepts. They are constructions of words. And the real world is not an idea. It is not words. Reality is... You know what I'm saying? Dude, that was fucking... (laughs) My fingertips were buzzing. (laughs) No magnets necessary. Ah, no magnets necessary. That should be... Okay, we're coining that one too. Um, Yeah. And I, I, I really enjoy that. Mr. Watts talks a lot about, you know, the sort of, um, Eastern philosophies of, you know, that are harbored in really Buddhism and, uh, Taoism. And and Hinduism, and um, they have a concept of an internal monologue or an internal—I should say, not a monologue, but an internal identity that has everything to do with listening and not speaking. And so you give credence to the part of your mind that speaks, but I think that it's very important to also give credit to the part that listens. And if you are good at meditating, if you meditate often, you'll find that's kind of the point is to be able to turn off the internal dialogue, which is extremely difficult to do. Anyone who's tried to meditate will know that you, it's very hard to, to get your mind to shut up. It's monkey chatter. And the, the benefit of meditation is being able to tune that out because you, you can get warped up in it and it can distort your time and it can set you on a path that, you know, you just of, of being out of touch of where you are, not being present, not appreciating, you know, things and 
that part of the mind that is still a part of your mind that in a way you talk with it by not talking with it, that's very important too. So the way that those two aspects of your psyche work together is, I think, a huge component of of, of that sort of um, motivation that you get to do anything or motivation to not do anything that, you know, what drives you in your day and in your life, ultimately. So when they were talking in Westworld about the pyramid, the two categories, do you remember what they said that they were as the basis of the pyramid? There were, uh, there was three, there was four parts of the pyramid and the top part, they didn't figure it out, but the bottom was, I think memory and then improvisation was the second bottom. And then the third was, uh, the second from the top was, uh, self-interest. So you have memory, improvisation and self-interest. Gotcha. But they, they were coming at it in groups of four, I guess. It was like the, the totality of it. And as a pyramid specifically, they wanted, uh, they wanted to treat it like a pyramid or almost like a chakra, something that starts at a basic root level and works its way up to something that is, you know, touching the divine essentially. I I guess what I'm, what I'm really wondering is you have the part that speaks. You have the part that listens. Is there a third part? No, there's many parts of both. I think, I think the part that speaks has many forms. There's a good voice that speaks to you. There's a bad voice. There's a dangerous voice. There's a sleazy voice. There's kind of all kinds of voices in your head, you know? Is it all part of the same process? Is it the same voice? Who knows? But, yeah. I, I think I think the part that I'm getting wrapped up on is the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. But I, I don't know if it's necessarily appropriate to, like, try and, uh, I guess, find the parallels, find comparisons in those. Is that, mm-hmm. even, is that even the correct way to ask that? <laughs> yeah. It's tough because you, you're talking about it and that's the whole thing that you're talking about is you're talking about it and then you're talking about it. It's a, it's a self-cycle, you know? We're talking about talking about talking about. <laughs> talking about it. Talking uh, about it. I will yeah. say, I will say, this has led me to remember a very specific scene out of one of my favorite stories. And uh, I'd like to share that with you real quick. I hope I can find the short one. Let's see if this is it. Wow. Never mind. Uh, I thought <laughs> I was looking for the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to Whale. Suddenly, and against all probability, a sperm whale had been called into existence several miles above the surface of an alien planet. And since this is not a naturally tenable position for a whale, this innocent creature had very little time to come to terms with its identity. This is what it thought as it fell. Ah, whoa, what's happening? Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What do I mean by who am I? Okay, okay, calm down, calm down, get a grip now. Ooh, this is an interesting sensation. What is it? It's a sort of a tingling in my, well, I suppose I better start finding names for things. Let's call it a tail. Yeah, tail. And hey, what's this roaring sound? Whooshing past what I'm suddenly gonna call my head. Wind, is that a good name? It'll do. Yay, this is really exciting. I'm dizzy with anticipation. Or is it the wind? There's an awful lot of that now, isn't it? And what's this thing coming towards me very fast? So big and flat and round, it needs a big wide sounding name like owl. Owls, round, ground, that's it, ground. Ah, I wonder if it'll be friends with me. Hello, ground. Curiously, the only thing that went through the mind of the bowl of petunias as it fell was, oh no, not again. (laughs) 
to Petunia having experienced their second uh, <laughs> anomaly. <laughs> their, their second demise to the hands of Arthur Dent, which how appropriate for episode 42. Uh, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Fun bit of trivia about myself. The very first tattoo that I got was a 42 and don't panic right underneath of it. Oh, boy. Yep, I'm so hardcore. And then turned around and joined a Broadway tour called 42nd Street. And everybody oh. was like, did you get a tattoo for the for the musical? And you were like, no. You fucking... <laughs> oh, wait, and then your boss shows up. Sure did. Uh, 42nd Street, that's right. Broadway, New York is 42nd Street. Yep, right? sure enough. Well, some of the theaters, there's a, there's a few littered around there. But that's the that's the heart of it. Yes, that's where a majority of them are. Mm. Oh man, Times Square, hell of a place. I've been there twice, and both times I didn't see a show. <laughs> I've seen one show there that was Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh yeah, did they have anyone famous in it? Uh, I think have, it was uh, Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs, okay. Yeah, okay. this wasn't, was uh, Michael C. Hall. Uh, what's that? It wasn't Michael C. Hall. Oh uh, no. Um, I, I think Tay had been there for a couple months by the time I'd got there. Uh, we, mm. we were, we were in town for a couple of weeks doing tech for a show. So we made our way in finally. That was the first and only Broadway show that I've seen. Mm. <clears throat> I meant, mm, excuse me. Correct there. Yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, Broadway. Yeah. Well, well, what's left of it, but we'll save that for another conversation on another show. Cause it's just still too depressing to talk about <laughs> very well. Um, no, nah, I'm just making that up. Fuck them. I, I yeah, say that. Fuck with, them. I say that with love. I say that in the most loving way Me possible. Too. I lovingly go, go fuck yourself. Yep. Broadway. Indubitably. Um, did you want to hit any of these other clips? I think there's, we missed one of them. Uh, yeah, there's the, the Lyra language too, which is her talking about just another example, kind of like my chair example of how language limits thought. We can do it. We can play it for shits. Why not? But until recently, there hasn't been any Sorry, data folks. to help us decide either way. Recently in my lab and other labs around the world, we've started doing research and now we have actual scientific data to weigh in on this question. So let me tell you about some of my favorite examples. I'll start with an example from an Aboriginal community in Australia that I had a chance to work with. These are the Kuktaiar people. They live in Pomporau at the very west edge of Cape York. And what's cool about Kuktaiar is in Kuktaiar, they don't use words like left and right. And instead, everything is in cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. And when I say everything, I really mean everything. You would say something like, oh, there's a, an ant on your southwest leg. Uh, or move your cup to the north-northeast a little bit. In fact, the way that you say hello in Kuktaiar is you say, which way are you going? And the answer should be north-northeast in the far distance. How about you? <laughs> so imagine as you're walking around your day, every person you greet, you have to report your heading direction. <laughs> that would actually get you oriented pretty fast, right? Because you literally couldn't get past hello uh, if you didn't know which way you were going. That's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, directions a good way. Color. The Russians have um, two two words for blue. They have two different kinds of blue. They have dark blue and light blue. And because of that, Russians perceive these two colors as two completely different colors. Whereas to us, it's just blue. And all. <laughs> 
it's very odd when you really tap into it. And then, and then I, the the foreign language that I'm the most familiar with is Spanish. I can speak a little bit of Spanish, but from what I've studied of Spanish, there's all kinds of uh, things that that change with Spanish. Like like with Spanish, everything's genderized. You know, every every single noun is either a, a male or a female form. <laughs> you know basically virtually and uh and you have to kind of pronoun it that way otherwise it doesn't sound right and that's i think to you know the modern english audience at least where we're at right now with cancel culture that would be very controversial people are trying to de-genderize words as much as humanly possible in hmm. america right <laughs> and in english and meanwhile spanish that's that's what it is and so, sorry we're gonna have to cancel your language <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like that's that's sexist. It's like no, that's what it is. It's you know, you can't be any other way. Um, I think it's just it's it's funky how that works. But when you speak Spanish, you do, and you have to speak it a different way. Spanish doesn't have a lot of the excessiveness of English. You can be somewhat excessive in Spanish, and it comes with accents and dialects more than with actual vocabulary. The the vocabulary itself has it, the regional stuff you got to pick up on, but Spanish itself is is much more simple. It has is many f- much fewer shit you can say <laughs> in Spanish than you can say in English. You know the, the thesaurus is not that strong in Spanish, um, unless you go regional, of course. But for us, it's like shit. You can have ten words for the same fucking thing. Yeah, profit, profit, pray and pray. Yeah, and that's frustrating for a lot of English speakers. Yeah. Right? It's a benefit to us because we're we're used to just having so many different words. When you get Spanish, it's like this is it. This is the word for tasty. This is the word for driving. There's no other word for it. This is the word for pretty or or handsome or whatever. You know. So yeah. I uh, maybe we can explore just because I don't have it clipped up and it's four minutes. But uh, maybe for next week we can keep it on the back burner. But I got a uh, it's a video on how. English words behave like English spells, especially when you start thinking them of, of spells being spelled out because you're spelling words. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's pretty good stuff. Which is what it is. Spelling. That's, that's a great point. Spelling is spell is based on the word spell, which is to conjure a glyph and create an effect with that glyph. Yep. That's what a spell is. Absolutely. Nice work, boobs. Well, uh, how do you feel about playing this amazing Scream promo again? Let's do it. We told you who was behind the schemes, but you'll never know who's behind the screams. Call our creep phone now and leave a scream mail. We'll play it on the show. 612-263-SEXY. 612-263-SXXY. That's... So sexy. Oh, yeah. Oh, Servo. That's, uh, is this the episode I think of with, uh, oh, yeah. This is the episode of the Higher Side Chats that Servo just dropped in our chats. That is the one that I would send around the hardest when I first started listening to, uh, Greg Carlwood. Save that shit. Mm. Y'all listening? I've listened to a couple of those higher side chats. It's a fun show. It's a good show. This episode, this is actually the video that I was going to pull from. Um, a lot of the the themes that they touch on, especially like specific words and uh, just the way they get laid out, it all comes from Laurel. Is that her name? Laurel. Laura Erica. Um, Laurel Erica. Two first names. Oh, well, you know, you know what they say. 
<laughs> Sounds a little spooky. <laughs> Someone dropped it in our holofractal slack. Servo, you're a good man. Mama Berry, French is also like that. Yeah, French, same thing. Very gendered. Latin languages. Um, how do you feel about doing a uh, voicemail? Uh, not a voicemail, a uh, intermission here. Take a little break. Yeah, yeah. Give everybody a little time to stretch. Yeah, let's get that. Uh, what do we got here? Grab this one. 612-263-SXXY if you want to leave a screen mail. This is Shadow of Television, Mayday. sit down. Greetings, girl. I said sit down. Oh. Now, you know how I don't like to use the sit-down gun, but this morning we just don't have time for mucking about. Uh, major allied cities have come under attack. Nazis. <gasps> Close your <sighs> mouth. Larry is greeted now by an agent of the Internal Revenue Service. Who are you? I'm from the IRS. I can't believe how much I hate everything. Hi, Dan. I just moved in next door. I'm a supermodel. I don't care who the IRS sends. I am not paying taxes. Oh, hello. I'm Adam Driver. I play Adam Sackler. Wrap it before you tap it. Goodbye.
out there and sisters. This year's lack of snow in Alaska could help generate a surplus of moose next year because deep snow makes it harder for moose to search for food, which leaves them more vulnerable to wolves. Or so the Germans would have us believe. So why are you here? I want to destroy cities and rid the streets of weaponry. Yeah, but why are you really here? I want to be king of the monsters. There you go. Now, if you stick with me, you'll make it. But uh, you got to unlearn that bullshit that they teach you on Monster Island now, because that shit'll get you killed out here. I'll do anything you want me to do. <laughs> My lizard. Now, how's your Japanese? Not that good. Well, you learn that shit then, brother, because that shit'll get you killed. These motherfuckers out there be plotting all types of shit on you. You got my stuff. Yo, what you need, Zillow? Check it out. I got rocket fire in hands. I got rockets for your shoulders and legs. Man, my shit is tight. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, anyway. What did you do? Justifiable homicide in the line of duty. No, that was murder. Open your eyes, son. That man was your friend, and you killed him like a fly. Why is he my friend, huh? Because he knows my name. Bazinga sold guns and rockets. The world is a better place without him anyway. Now get your ass in the car. No way, man. I'm getting reassigned. Well, you do that. You tell them what I did. I don't give a damn, because I got news for you. King Kong ain't got shit on me. <laughs>
somewhere at some time in our galaxy, there evolved an intelligent race of serpents known as Cylons. First, they created machines of super intelligence, the Cylon Centurions. Then they created the ultimate in machinery and technology, a ruler known as the Imperious Leader. But due to a slight error in their programming, the Imperious Leader turned against his creators and ordered his subjects to exterminate all human life forms. Thus began a war with the Cylon Centurions that embraced all of the human race in the star system. Take it on out of there. Take that out. Take it out. Take it. Take it all out. Boobery Biden. wants some action. <laughs> <laughs> Biden is coming. Oh, yeah. Spend money on the come and as many people coming. That's not the reason they're coming. People are coming because I'm the nice guy. That's, I, I, why that's it's a serious question, right? It's an acceptable to me. Come on. <laughs> you know, you got to get now is the Trump one where he says they were coming all over the place. Oh, yeah. Or they and came all over the place. I need that and the cream rises to the top. <laughs> rises to the top, brother. Brother. Creamy. Jack Tunney. Creamy. Creamy cream. All the cream quotes. Plus the band cream. The late great cream. There we go. Cool. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed intermission. Um, I uh, What I got lined up for us for second and second half of show, um, are you familiar with The Imp of the Perverse by Edgar Allan Poe? You know what? I I wasn't until you mentioned it. Uh, I love Poe, though, so this is, this is going to be great. Nice. I, I, think, uh, I think the way I want to try stuff out tonight, I've got eight clips. It's the full short story. 
uh, narrated by the unconquerable uh, Vincent Price, which is a it, it's really good. So I think what we're going to do, uh, I'm going to split it up into eight sections and then uh, maybe I can find in a in, in my list of clips something to correspond with that, because we're going to be touching on a, a couple of different <sighs> I don't know, opinions, I guess, or just uh, different fucking belief systems uh, that that will that will touch Freud. We got a little bit of the the void. So this is Imp of the Perverse Part One. Never mind. This is Imp of the Perverse Part One. The Imp of the Perverse. In the consideration of the faculties and impulses of the prima mobilia of the human soul, the phrenologists have failed to make room for a propensity which, although obviously existing as a radical, primitive, irreducible sentiment, has been equally overlooked by all the moralists who have preceded them. We saw no need of the impulse for the propensity. The intellectual or logical man, rather than the understanding or observant man, set himself to imagine designs to dictate purposes to God. Having thus fathomed to his satisfaction the intentions of Jehovah, out of these intentions he built his innumerable systems of mind. In the matter of phrenology, for example, we first determined, naturally enough, that it was the design of the deity that man should eat. We then assigned to man an organ of alimentiveness, and this organ is the scourge with which the deity compels man, will I nil I, into eating. Secondly, having settled it to be God's will that man should continue his species, we discovered an organ of amativeness forthwith. And so with combativeness, with ideality, with causality, with constructiveness. So in short, with every organ, whether representing a propensity, a moral sentiment, or a faculty of the pure intellect. Just love the way uh, 19th century poets and authors have such a grasp on language. Mm -hmm. uh, and on Shakespeare's birthday, bravo. <laughs> yeah, which I, yeah, that was a, a total uh, total accident on my part, believe it or not. Well, you know, Vincent Price would be celebrating it just as much as anyone else. Oh, yeah. So I think the first thing to start off uh, would be none other than an iHeartRadio podcast show that uh, breaks down the discussion. And um, what I'm noticing is there's a there's a there's one thing specifically that correlates with this uh, with this story that is it's called the call of the void. Are you familiar with this? Yes, I am familiar with the call of the void. So to set it up, call of the void, it's this idea that um suppose that you're on the 33rd floor of a building and it has no railing and you're standing at the edge. Uh, there's this thought that comes across to you that you could take that lunge. You know, that you do have that power to step over the ledge and pull, pull a sperm whale straight out of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. you, could, you can meet the ground. Yeah, real fast. Or maybe it happens in slow motion, you know, that's... Uh, wouldn't that be like the the hyperdrive of your fight or flight system engaging? And do you think there's any merit to people falling in slow motion? Uh, I think that adrenaline, yeah, it helps your brain sort of process things slightly faster. But the reality is, is you know, you're when you're falling, you're falling. 
In your head, yeah, I do. I've had I've had situations where I've fallen from like some sort of great height, and I think twice in my life, and I got away by doing a Zelda by doing a Link roll. Oh wow! I hit the ground, and I it's that's kind of, kind of a tumbler move. You know, if you're falling from a, a large height, you got to kind of put that momentum forward instead of into the ground. So the idea is that you kind of, when you hit the ground, you push yourself forward with the bottom half of your body. And then with the top half, you kind of roll, you tuck in and you protect your head and do a barrel when, roll. You do a barrel roll, do a barrel roll. And, and when that happens, yeah, dude, time does slow down a little bit. It's kind of a, it's kind of funky. There's kind of a snapshot moment. It's kind of a focal moment where it's like, yeah, this is it. I got to, that's, that's where you start making decisions. That's where all the things that I just described to you, that's going through my head. I got to fucking do this and this and this in order to make it out of this situation that I found myself in. It's fascinating how much you can process in a short amount of time with adrenaline rushing through you. Right. Once those chemicals start flowing straight to the brain. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I wanted to pull up one of my notes. Uh, so I want to get into these, um, these iHeartRadio shows. I forget what the name of the show is, but it's, it should be linked um, in the show notes. This is part one. In this short story, Poe brings up this concept of the imp of the perverse or this, uh, this motive toward perversity. The idea of doing something exclusively for the reason that you know it should not be done and not for any other reason. And in this story, The Imp of the Perverse, uh, there is actually a murder. You, you don't get to the murder for a while. Poe <laughs> makes you wait. Uh, before before any plot, there's just this long musing, complete with lots of references to the pseudoscience of phrenology. Uh, but it's amusing on this particular impulse of perverseness, the powerful urge to do what we should not and to do it simply for the reason that it should not be done. Because it's got that sort of forbidden nature like you criminalize something and then all of a sudden you've made it the new hot ticket item that people can profit like mad off of that's that's sort of where my head goes with that Mm -hmm. you there's a part of you that wants to break the rules yeah and with the call of the void it's the most extreme version of that like when you're on a rooftop and if you ever have the feeling of just like what if i just jumped off this building right now that's the call of the void to me Let's, uh, you know, I, I will say that there is that that is like the number one uh, example, I guess. It's kind of dark, I, I guess, but um, but it's the most common thing. You know, everybody's most people have been on a rooftop at some point, if not many times. And I work in uh, I work in a field where I'm on top of high rises pretty frequently. And it's you get a beautiful view. You know, you have that part of you that's like, oh, this is really lovely. And then every now and again, yeah, you get that sort of a mischievous little voice in your head that goes like what if you jump right now you could do it you could pull it off i could pull off jumping off a building (laughs) yeah that's the easy part (laughs) most people can pull that off (laughs) most people are capable of doing that but you shouldn't do it though we here don't don't uh we condone that behavior yeah well i will say uh we we'll, we'll get to them here in a little bit but i got a couple of different examples of what people suggest that they would do to themselves and then um maybe i can uh maybe i can give you a, a <laughs> one of the ones i've often thought about does that sound good yes so uh this is uh this is a little this is a little clip going into the call of the void specifically lapel david or for those more romantically challenged the call of the void. 
As the name suggests, this feeling is commonly associated with standing on a high ledge and experiencing a sudden urge to jump into the void below. However, it can also be tied to other experiences such as jerking your steering wheel into oncoming traffic, standing in the middle of its tracks as a train is fast approaching, sticking a metal object into an electrical outlet, or even just touching a hot stovetop. So what is this mysterious call of the void? Why do certain people report feeling it, some even on multiple occasions throughout their lives, while others seemingly never do? And most importantly, what causes it and what does it really mean? What does it all really mean? Um, naturally, there were studies done. Uh, I believe Florida State University was one of them. Um, and they only did a couple of hundred students, uh, maybe 400, 430 some. Um, where is this at? Uh, it was also called the high place phenomenon, the lapel, lapel, uh, oh God, I can't, I can't do it. Lapel David. I think I got that right. Oh, it's French. Yes. Yeah. yeah. French. It's uh, it's uh, thought that at least 30% of people at least once in their lives experience this or think about this, uh, this, this sort of track, Mm -hmm. which sounds about right. Yeah. It sounds about right. I would be curious to see the frequency of which people find themselves. Um, I forget what the part two of this one is. It's only 48 seconds, though. One of the first to put such a theory into actual words was the 20th century French philosopher and a key figure of the existentialism movement, John Paul Sartre. In his book, Being and Nothingness, Sartre describes this sudden urge to jump as a moment of existentialist truth about the human freedom to choose to live or die. He referred to this concept as the vertigo of possibility, or when humans contemplate dangerous or even life-threatening experiments in the freedom of their own mind simply because they can. But more recently, a Cornell University cognitive neuroscientist, Adam Anderson, hypothesized that the call of the void stems from the human tendency to gamble with extreme risk. He states that people are less risk averse when the situation is bad. They roll the dice to avoid the bad thing. I thought the gambling aspect was was fairly interesting because mm. um, it, it took me several several videos to find uh i've already forgotten the guy's name but the the second one that they reference there um because it it's like it's almost like you're uh you're engaging that fear receptor and like uh, sort of breaking it almost it's like hey i don't want to be scared of snakes no more so i'm gonna hop in this pit full of snakes and just scare my my, the scare my fucking fears right out (laughs) Mm -hmm. overload the sensations which is a, a very human thing to do in a way. Let's um, I we'll uh, we'll maybe come back around to the call of the void stuff. But um, here's a here's just a quick couple. And, and one more again, by the way, just just to cut in, we, we've got five minutes until full moon. Oh shit! And uh, and again, we're talking about the voices in your head or the voice in your head, uh, and we're we're going into the the imp of perversion. Yes, and this is part two. It would have been wiser, it would have been safer, to classify, if classify we must, upon the basis of what man usually or occasionally did, and was always occasionally doing, rather than upon the basis of what we took it for granted the deity intended him to do. If we cannot comprehend God in his visible works, how then in his inconceivable thoughts that call the works into being. If we cannot understand him in his objective creatures, 
How then in his substantive moods and phases of creation? Induction a posteriori would have brought phrenology to admit as an innate and primitive principle of human action a paradoxical something which we may call perverseness for want of a more characteristic term. In the sense I intend, it is in fact a mobile without motive, a motive not motifiert. Through its promptings, we act without comprehensible object. Or, if this be understood as a contradiction in terms, we may so far modify the proposition as to say that through its promptings we act for the reason that we should not. In theory, no reason can be more unreasonable. But in fact, there is none more strong. With certain minds, under certain conditions, it becomes absolutely irresistible. I am not more certain that I breathe than that the assurance of the wrong or error of any action is often the one unconquerable force that impels us and alone impels us to its prosecution. Nor will this overwhelming tendency to do wrong for the wrong's sake admit of analysis or resolution into ulterior elements. It is a radical, a primitive impulse, elementary. It will be said, I am aware that when we persist in acts because we feel we should not persist in them, our conduct is but a modification of that which ordinarily springs from the combativeness of phrenology. Are you, um, are you familiar with phrenology? The, the study of the size of craniums? Yeah, it was, uh, I, I guess it was something that slipped my mind. I had to go back and look into it because I, I guess I've never really paid much attention to it. Yeah, that's uh that was a big deal at a certain point. That was uh kind of nowadays it's looked in the context of being, I don't know, bigoted, I suppose. Oh yeah. But I mean there's something to be said about the size of your brain and but it, it is considered a pseudoscience just cuz it's 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 so primitive. Like it's not it's not really based in like, you know, what would be considered a, a neurological field today. It's kind of hocus pocusy just it kind of divided the the brain into sections, you know, like, and and back when lobotomies weren't given with you know without a second mind, just like yeah. nope, time to go. Ugh. Right? <laughs> They're like, we think it's this part. You know, there's we know that this part does this, so we're gonna remove it. That'll fix that. The human body is fascinating. There's so few things you can take out of it that you know won't cause problems. It's uh, such a tight knit little uh, uh, machine. But anyway. I digress. Oh, you know what? I did forget this. Uh, here's here's another person's example from uh, for, for for something like the Call of the Void. Yeah, I, I actually uh, <laughs> I burn myself and then I put myself out and then I I rethink putting myself out and just continue burning myself. Holy fucking shit, you guys! Oh, that was the wrong one, but whatever. Um, <laughs> it's right beside my fire button. The I one love that though, the one the, that the I always. The, the one that I always wanted to do was s stick my finger in like four aught, 600 amp electricity, like like in mm -hmm. three phase, ride that lightning dragon. The the fork uh, washing uh, hole. That's where you wash your fork. Yep. Keys work too. Keys work too. Uh, you know, funny enough, there was there was another. This is this is just a little Easter egg. Uh, this is <laughs> almost an Easter egg for Sir Sir Seat Setter. Um, but they, they dropped a, a kind of a funny line a little bit later in the clip. 
No, you've come to the right place. I think this, this is definitely the right place because this, this is it's definitely extremely... this definitely helps you through it because it's yeah. dark, but it's also uplifting. Because they're they're sitting there talking about like all these different ways that they would commit to the void, right? And they get second thoughts and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna we, we should we should pimp the suicide hotline." You know, if you want, um, I'll uh, I'll, I'll send you the fucking suicide hotline through Morse code. Just look in the sky. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just look at the sky <laughs> shut up <laughs> you think someone's ever uh ever you know you know like the airplane messages uh, <laughs> they, they they pour out smoke from the back right yeah you think ever, someone's ever done that like, with morse code yourself <laughs> no dude just morse dude hey oh just making a bunch of dashes in the sky yeah <laughs> hey they, dude, they have like, done uh, that before that is a thing Hey, dude, what's, Is your, it really? what's your phone yeah, number? Yes, strange. What's your phone number? Let me morse it to you. <laughs> yeah, look. Hey, look in the sky. I'm, I, I got some. I got some chemtrails going. Hey, check this out. Okay, Here's Alex my number. Jones. Yeah, I hired. I don't a know what to else to that. call them. Sorry. Uh, they're not uh, chemtrails. The, they're called smoke trails. Sorry. All right, all right, I'm sorry. Here, I'll morse code you my number. Look in the sky. I'll write it with stratospheric aerosol injection. The whole vibe just fucking immediately floats like. Oh, is that an Alex Jones reference? <laughs> Chemtrail Morse code. How about that? Oh my goodness. We're really we're really breaking new ground here. Lordy. That's funny. What's uh you got any thoughts on this story? I'm I'm almost at a point where it's because I, I have to pull up the actual short story to read along with it just because the level of English is is way above my just to sit here and, and listen comprehension. So it's you're talking about Poe. Yes. And how long is is the improv provision? Is it a short story or a novel or what is it? It's a it's a short story. <laughs> Figured. Yeah. And how long of a short story is it? Uh, the Vincent Price video that I got was like fourteen minutes and some change. Okay, so it's obviously. Uh, lascivious in its vocabulary but it's not really that long a body of work right which I, is I just I dropped it in the well. chats for you though the one that i'm pulling from nice yeah yeah it's a it's a fucking it's it's not old english but it's i don't know he he's got the way i mean it's old enough uh where yeah it's it's kind of heavy but his uh his thought process is key and of course he was a very depressed guy his whole life and it shows <laughs> in his work, I think. There's there's a lot of weight to his language. There is. And the way that he, the topics he writes about are, are very um, timeless, I find. Like he, for a guy who wrote 200 years ago, we all can relate to all the stuff that he <laughs> put down on paper. One of my favorite stories of his that really resounds right now is The Mask of Red Death. And mm, that, that corresponds to the COVID situation. And also to how the elites are behaving in the COVID situation. And it's perfectly topical. And it's written about some plague, you know, in Venice back in, I don't know, probably the 17th or 18th century. So, yeah, it's it's fun. <laughs> Spooky stuff. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, disagree to leaving the Poe Trail anytime soon. I'm, it, it's been a fucking minute. I'm sitting here thinking like, yeah, you know, it's been a couple of years since, uh, since college and I was reading that stuff more frequently. I'm like, Oh wait, no, <laughs> that yeah. time's doubled now. School's the worst place to read. No, I mean, I fucking pulled that shit out for myself. I got a couple of his anthologies. It's just, it's been mm. so long. Um, yeah. 
But but this story stuck out to you, the input perversion. Right. And, and the, the idea of, of that naughty voice, really, that's in you. Yeah, telling you all the things that you should do that you maybe should or should not do. Like, I, it, what it reminds me of is, like, I've known good people in my life who who have a, a something inside of them that is nasty. They have a good heart, but they do bad things, you know? And I think that that might relate to that. There are people that I have known that, like, do some pretty messed up stuff, and you go, why'd you do that? And they go, I don't know. I just I just did it, you know? I just I couldn't stop myself. Hmm. And that is a sort of a, a personality, I think, that's kind of dominated by what you're talking about, this naughty voice in their head that, you know, you have a voice in your head that tells you, you know, you shouldn't do this. And then you got the other voice that says, stay safe, John. <laughs> <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and that's. Yeah, I mean, know. it's definitely it's it's set up in sort of a you got your angel on the well, shit. Is it angel on the right or angel on the left? I'm not sure. I think it's angel on the right. but I'm not sure. Yeah. And devil on the left. Yeah. We've gone this whole time. We haven't talked once about the, the typical classic angel and devil on your shoulder conscience that is true that is true that's why i was kind of wondering if there was any if if we could draw any parallels between what you were talking about with the uh by by carol the bicameral mind bicameral mind because you got the part that listens and you got the part that speaks what would the imp perverse be (sighs) hmm because it's it's, sorry you, you first Oh, I was just going to say, I think that both the angel and the devil would be part of the part that speaks. Yeah. They, they would both be part of that one section of, of the mind in the, in the context of the bicameral mind. And then the listening would be you somehow separate of them. You would be you in a sort of, uh, I also call it like your limbic system or your, your lizard brain or your basic your basic neurological function is like determining in this way the cause of action. And then whatever you determine with this conversation in your mind is what you act out in a, in a limbic fashion. <laughs> so the part that's listening to, to the angel and the devil could very well just be your lizard brain that's just sitting there waiting for orders. Well, trying to deduce those orders. I think you just fucking hit a vein. I'm going to hit you with uh, this is what is fear. There's no emotion there at this point because it's just perception and memory. Now, the emotion begins to come when the consequences of activating the defense system are happening at the same time. So in addition to creating a perceptual representation and a memory representation, the the threat is also going to the amygdala. It's also activating the so-called arousal systems of the brain that increase alertness and attention to the environment. Because of this, the attention is now focused on that snake based on the sensory stimulus, the memory uh, about that stimulus in the past, the fact that your defense system is aroused and kind of causing your heart to beat fast and so forth, the fact that you've activated a schema of fear because you know that snakes are dangerous in a cold cognitive sense, all of that is now coming together in your mind in a, a kind of workspace of the mind called working memory where it all comes together as fear. No, I thought that was my amygdala clip. I got one that they fucking sit there name dropped the amygdala. amygdala. Yeah, nice. I hope I didn't get rid of it. Um, but yeah, I, uh, no, you go ahead. Sorry. The 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 first part of that clip that uh, I didn't bring 
talking about the way that parents almost instill a level of fear with the child. Like uh, imagine that the kid runs into a snake and it's the parents that get super freaked out, get super concerned. They get tossed into overdrive and, and that's what the kid picks up on. They get taught that reaction of fear by interacting with the parent in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I thought that was interesting. And uh, the other two to go along with that, um, this other one, they actually split it up into two different paths that the, the fear response can, um, that it can pursue, I guess. The low road is instinctual and impulsive. React now, ask questions later. When a perceived threat happens, whether it's an unexpected sound, motion, or any other sense, the brain says danger. Engage fight or flight response now. The sensory stimulus is sent into the thalamus, the area of the brain in charge of receiving initial sensory signals and relaying them to the next destination. As the thalamus does not know whether this is real danger, but there is a possibility, it shoots the signal straight to the amygdala, which is the brain's alarm system. The amygdala sends a danger signal to the hypothalamus, also referred to as the lizard brain, which is responsible for synthesizing and secreting hormones. It reacts and sends out neurochemicals and hormones including adrenaline into the body, increasing things like breathing and heart rate, dilating pupils to maximize further visual information input, and pumping more blood into our muscles so we are primed to run or fight. <laughs> That was the one I was thinking of. All right. That's, uh, uh, so it lists like three main kind of things. It lists the, the amygdala, the thalamus. hypothalamus, yeah. and the, what was the other thing? Or maybe I'm just adding a third thing. Yeah, I think what it was, was just think, the two. What I was thinking of was the pineal gland. I was thinking of that in the back of my head while they're talking about all this stuff, you know? Right. <laughs> More like in the middle of your head. hey Cha. Oh, yeah. It was in the middle of my head the whole time. You son of a bitch. You got me. You got me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The lizard brain. What's your take on the lizard brain? The hypothalamus. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly the most easily manipulated. I don't know, maybe other than the sexual drive, it's probably the most easily manipulate, manipulate, manipulated organ. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has so much say over what you do. I mean, you kind of yeah. take it for granted. And, and just listen to the way they're describing your pupils dilate and blood starts in flowing to your muscles and 560, uh, 500,000 560,000 people died from COVID-19 and just all that fucking blood rushes to your body mm-hmm. pupils. And they said it in there that they dilate so you can soak up more information. It's quite abusive. I think <laughs> like, call I'd me agree. crazy. No, I'd agree. I'd agree with you. Uh, do you get any interest in hearing the other road, the other path? Uh, yes. I think I will hear the other path. The high road takes a slightly longer route considering the scenario before deciding what action to take. The original stimuli is again sent to the thalamus, but instead of escalating this to the amygdala, it is sent through to the sensory cortex, which processes and determines meaning from the stimuli. What exactly did you see, hear, taste, smell or feel? It sends the gathered information onto the hippocampus, which stores memory for more context and asks whether it has experienced this before. What did it mean that time and what was the outcome? 
It also considers other factors that might help give it context. Is that noise my cat in the other room? Did I leave the TV on, etc.? The hippocampus takes a measured approach and tells the fired-up amygdala whether to shut down and stop sending signals to the hypothalamus or to continue with the fight-or-flight reaction engaged by the low road. This is why we feel a momentary rush of terror before calming down in a situation we evaluate to not be dangerous after all. Lots of people actually seek out fear, enjoying being and feeling scared, watching horror films, playing scary games, or even going on a roller coaster. When our fight-or-flight response is triggered, we release chemicals which are similar to that of when we are excited or happy. When we trigger this in what we perceive as a safe environment, it is thought that we can then enjoy being scared and the chemicals running around our body that are akin to high arousal states. Yeah, it's all fucking fear and arousal mm -hmm. here on the right. Scaly Show. <laughs> here on the show and out there in the world, baby. Yeah, the, the two main motivators, really. I mean, if you get right down to it, we talk about if we throw it back to Socrates Damon, his thing was a lot about sort of telling him what not to do, which a lot of the time was, I, I'd imagine fear is the motiv motivator for that. And and like they're talking about with the basic, the basic uh, motor functions of the brain, having the muscle memory to, to say things like, the stove is hot, don't touch the stove, right? You, you have a part of you that just naturally lashes out and goes, don't do that, dummy. Don't do that, dummy. Yeah. I mean, some some people, I'm, I've, I've definitely had my moments. You can't figure it out the first fucking time. You just got to keep fucking it up. <laughs> it's, it's, sometimes uh, those lessons aren't as easy to learn for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. uh, I did catch something kind of interesting in these videos. Uh, I just dropped both of them into the chats. I would call it a wild spotting of the black sun uh, in this particular video. Cause they're sort of pulling this, uh, you know, I'm all, I'm, I'm pretty suspect that most of these like flash animated sciencey sort of, um, infographic shows. Are you familiar with them? Uh, infographic shows. Uh, yeah, it's, so. it's like a, uh, not flash, but Adobe has their animated or anim animator program. The, the next, the new flash essentially. Yeah. New flash. And, yeah. uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm almost certain most of these shows are CIA fronts <laughs> oh, <yeah>. on YouTube. <laughs> I don't doubt that. Those guys are pumping so much fucking money into the fucking, <sighs> into the public sector or into the private sector. Oh. It's, uh, yeah, I would not doubt that one bit. Damn. My links aren't lurk, uh, aren't working, but if, uh, if you're listening later, you scrolling down, it's the two pictures. His hand is holding up one smaller uh, yellow sun, and the other frame is the hand holding the larger uh, black sun on the purple background. Pink background. I guess it's more pink. Um, I also cut another one. There's this like weird fucking hedgehog thing, and there's two towers in the distance with a plane about to fly into them. Uh, it's very disturbing all around. I don't think I saved any clips from that one, but... Uh, <laughs> Pictures for those as well are in the show Always notes. Always a good time. Yeah. Always a good time. Thank you. Brightening the evening. Yeah. I guess uh, the last thing that I want to play here to wrap up on fear, um, I, I thought this was just highly profound. So thought is the origin of fear. If death is to happen, immediately there is no fear. 
But if it is to happen in 10 days' time, then thought begins to think about it, what, what, it ha- what is going to happen, what has been done, whether I will carry my, with, to heaven my furniture, <laughs> my fortune or my memories. All that breeds fear. Thought is responsible for fear. And so thought is also responsible for pleasure. Just to tie in that pleasure angle again, but I don't know. Like he, he seems to just correlate. Do you have any thoughts on this? Like he, he, he comes in and he's like, nope, it's, it's only thought. There's no like uh, lizard brain reaction. Like we were just listening to with the low road. Right. Mm-hmm. It, well, there's just two basic, you could simplify it to two basic things, right? Fear and pleasure. And that those are two big ones. I mean, fear is huge. Like you could think about it in the sense of I need to go to work. If I don't go to work, then uh, I, I can't make money and I can't afford to do the things that would give me pleasure. So you have a fear of losing the pleasure <laughs> and the pleasure is is a uh, is a relaxing absence of fear. That's what pleasure is, is you basically being at ease and enjoying yourself. Let and the good times roll. Yeah. So throughout the day, fear is all, all, you know, I got to fucking put gas in my car. I got to clean my house. I got to, you know, do, you know, all this shit, it's, it's all fear. I, I fear what will happen if I don't do this. And uh, the part of trying to enjoy your life is acknowledging that and trying to just like, you know, take a breath every now and again, right? Try to try to appreciate things a little as much as you can, even though life is, a you know, at times pretty rough. You got to just try to fight the fear. You know, the fear of of what? What is what is it that you're so afraid of? Other than pain that you've experienced in your life, you don't want to experience that pain. But the, the, you spend so much more time in fear of the pain than you do experiencing the pain. And fearing the pain can be worse sometimes. <laughs> yeah, definitely sucks up a suck up a lot more resource resources. Yeah. But that's it, right? Fear it's, and pleasure. It's, yeah, it's kind of like uh, just being in a constant state of uh, anxiety, almost. Just um, mm-hmm. and and that's not even to to bash on it because I understand it. You know, it go, comes and goes for me. It's it's sort of a roller coaster at times. But uh, uh, and I just <laughs> right out the window. <laughs> God damn it. Oh no! Did you flip it? Did you flip it out of the frying pan? Yep. And uh, I just, for shits and giggles, decided to see if it was still hot. And yes. Well, that's hot. That's hot. Well, okay. Let me ask you this: Do you want to hear a little on Freud's pleasure principle then, or continue on with some imp of the perverse? I, I would. Uh... Oh, look at that moon! That's no moon. Uh, I'm afraid the deflector shields will be quite operational. Uh, or what do I want? Do you want to do a scream? Or do you want to do a scream mail real, real quick? Oh yeah, let's do a scream out real quick. Poor smoke nation, motherfuckers. <laughs> hmm. Nice. Should we do it one more time? You hear that one more time? Pork smoke nation, motherfuckers. Nice. Pork smoke nation. Rise up. That's a mighty fine name for a republic, if you ever ask me. <laughs> stand back and stand by. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
ideas. <laughs> you know, I just want to say for the record, we'll just, this is a value for value we, podcast. We can say these things because we have no corporate sponsors. We have no, uh, no, we are in the no one's pocketbook. So we that can, is true. we can say whatever the fuck we want. But there's only one way it can end up. FBI, open up! <laughs> all roads lead to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say all roads lead to getting uh, getting coerced into driving the van. But Ooh. it all comes down to. So will you get take the, the keys the or will you not take the keys? Life I- is a van. <laughs> Oh lordy! All right, you said imp uh, imp of the perverse. Yeah, let's let's hit that. Uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more on that, if that's okay. We have a task before us, which must be speedily performed. We know that it will be ruinous to make delay. The most important crisis of our life calls trumpet-tongued for immediate energy and action. We glow, we are consumed with eagerness to commence the work with the anticipation of whose glorious result our whole souls are on fire. It must, it shall be undertaken today, and yet we put it off until tomorrow. And why? There is no answer, except that we feel perverse using the word with no comprehension of the principle. Tomorrow arrives, and with it a more impatient anxiety to do our duty. But with this very increase of anxiety arrives also a nameless, a positively fearful, because unfathomable craving for delay. This craving gathers strength as the moments fly. The last hour for action is at hand. We tremble with the violence of the conflict within us, of the definite with the indefinite, of the substance with the shadow. But if the contest has proceeded thus far, it is the shadow which prevails. We struggle in vain. The clock strikes and is the knell of our welfare. At the same time, it is the chanticleer note to the ghost that has so long overawed us. It flies, it disappears, we are free. The old energy returns. We will labor now. Alas, it is too late. I just want to comment here for a quick second that uh, consumed with eagerness to commence the work is the new do the work. Do the work. Yeah. (laughs) And he also had uh, a light and shade in there. The duality, the occult duality, the old Zeppelin format, light and shade. Oh, yeah, I miss that. Light and shadow. Uh, Which is a fun... Duality is always at play when you're talking about these sort of uh, deep topics like this, but the light and shadow is a great way to to lens that duality. You know, this is interesting. Uh, For whatever reason, the Vincent Price version... Uh, he's reading an edited version and here's a sentence that was omitted. It's from, it was from the first clip. We have suffered its existence to escape our senses solely through one of belief of faith, whether it be faith in revelation or faith in the Kabbalah. The idea never occurred to us simply because of the super, super, uh, oh my God, super, Arrogation, super arrogation, the act of performing more than is required on duty or required by duty, obligation or need going above and beyond Um, being your best self. Yeah. Being your best you. When they say the revelation in the Kabbalah, do they mean the new and old Testament? Uh, Kabbalah is hyperlinked an interpretation of the Torah uh, or the religious mystical system of uh, 
Judaism claiming an yeah. insight into divine nature. The old the old uh, way, and then the revelation is the, the New Testament Christianity. And, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that makes sense. So this is they're looking at it from a lens of of um, Abrahamic, or I should say, Judeo Christian. Saturnic. <laughs> Saturnic, and therefore Saturnic. Yeah. Speaking of which, I definitely saw Mercury when I was outside. Looks beautiful. Nice. You got a lot of light pollution where you are? or uh, Mine, where I'm at, is not too bad. And on a clear day, I can see a good amount of stuff. I've got uh, both a physical and a phone star chart, and I like to keep an eye on what's going on. I'm getting pretty familiar with my little area here now, which is nice. Nice. Heavenly bodies. Um. Yeah. Let's, uh, you know, I don't know what it is about Poe, but uh, he's... You don't have it. You probably have a lot of light pollution, huh? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a big old fucking Sam's and Walmart within walking distance to us. You're like in the city, right? Uh, no, but it's sort of, uh, it's, it's right off of uh, one of the interstate exits. Mm, not mm. too far off. So mm. somewhat rather populated uh, shopping area right by us mm, gotcha i'm by this giant defunct uh naval base or all these oh, bunkers wow. you would love it yes yes i would <laughs> it, it's it's an old uh, world war ii munitions storage bunker and naval uh, port uh, uh where they would build and launch out ships and uh do they allegedly them. keep it locked up tight well they do keep it locked up tight they tried to develop it into condos, obviously, because that's what everybody's doing. But the uh, land is so polluted and so filthy. This is what they, this is what they told us that it can't be developed. There was a time a couple of years back where they were selling some of the bunkers, and you could privately own one or one of them. And they're, from what I hear, they're sick. <laughs> it's just wow. like <laughs> these huge cavernous concrete, just filthy, covered with diesel and bullshit and uh but it's it's this huge expanse i mean it's just a couple miles i would say of these bunkers that are just open and uh so that that permits me i'm right on the edge of that territory so that permits me a good uh respite from light pollution yeah nice anyway i just wanted to get that out so you were talking you were talking about poe no i just i'm, I'm kind of starting to get a little re-enamored I don't know how else better to put it, because uh, this is legit the first time that I've looked at any of his work in a long ass time, and um, I guess it's just different, you know. Being this would have been fucking high school, high school actually. Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. um, just neat. Um, it is neat. The uh, what's the other one that's really great? Blanken. Uh, oh, too much. Uh, too much uh, imbibing. The one where they they. You put someone in the wall. Maybe the chat will know. Oh, cast a mana. Uh, cast a, of Monte Cristo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cast of Monte Carlo. Cast of uh, cask of what? Cask of Pope. Of Amontillado. Oh, cask of yep. Amontillado. He walls them in, right? Brick by brick. brick Slather it up. Brick by brick. Lay that yeah. mortar down. He's always writing stories about dark shit going down at parties. You know, I learned something last night. I was listening to a, it's a guy. He, he's part of a news organized quote unquote news, but they foster um, like cultural bridges. I suppose it's called Mm -hmm. rising tide. 
and I had pulled some of his work when we were looking at uh, Nature Magazine, which was founded by Huxley's family and uh, all these other eugenicists and shit. Oh, <laughs> but uh-uh, I didn't know that. This uh, this dude is he had. He, I'm gonna have to send you the uh, the uh, episode I was listening to just to like kind of see where I'm like, oh man, I th- I really think this guy is a Chinese intelligence, but <laughs> he's got just like some of the, the craziest, like America, American Republic history and what um, they do a lot of research from what I gather about uh, what people were actually doing. And they kind of surmise that at the time, like uh, England still remained the big bad, right. For the mm-hmm. world powers. Uh, it's yeah. very anti-British is what I'm saying, which and kind therefore of anti-establishment. Yeah. And it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting, but um, apparently Edgar Allan Poe uh, knew and hung out with uh, Lafayette quite a bit. The Marquis. Yeah. Oh, the Marquis de Lafayette, really? Oh, that's interesting. And his grandfather uh, fought with Washington and Lafayette in the Revolution. That's neat. Yeah. So essentially the point that they're getting at is that uh, Poe is like the Beethoven of American literature, you know, because he's got his finger on the pulse being connected to figures in the Revolution and... You know, writing seminal works. Oh, totally. Yeah, he must. I mean, he was obviously a star, and he was rolling in some some sweet circles. And that time period was just so dynamic. So much shit happened. Yeah. That I mean, you have the American Revolution, you have the French Revolution. It's you have you have Napoleon, you have uh, the collapse of your classic European powers, and the events leading up to World War One, and all of that's in, within a period of, you know, about years. Uh, 200 years happens, but it's just so much, so many periods within that 200 years or there's just a major catalytic event, something going on. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's it's not fun again. Make uh, giant sweeping historical changes fun again. Well, that's what's happening now. I think we live in some interesting times. It's not that significant, but we live in some interesting times right now. No, but it's definitely like peace has fallen in line. I'll tell you that much. Oh, America's disgraceful. It's never been less American. I can tell you that. Yeah. But maybe I'm just a cynic. Well, to uh, cure your woes, I got about seven minutes left of this Vincent Price. You want to ride it out? Sure. Why not? All right. We stand upon the brink of a precipice. We peer into the abyss. We grow sick and dizzy. Our first impulse is to shrink from the danger. Unaccountably, we remain. By slow degrees, our sickness and dizziness and horror become merged in a cloud of unnameable feeling. By gradation still more imperceptible, this cloud assumes shape as did the vapor from the bottle out of which rose the genius in the Arabian Nights. But out of this, our cloud, upon the precipice's edge, there grows into palpability a shape far more terrible than any genius or any demon of a tale. And yet it is but a thought, although a fearful one, and one which chills the very marrow of our bones with the fierceness of the delight of its horror. It is merely the idea of what would be our sensations during the sweeping precipitancy of a fall from such a height. And this fall, this rushing annihilation, 
for the very reason that it involves that one most ghastly and loathsome of all the most ghastly and loathsome images of death and suffering which have ever presented themselves to our imagination. For this very cause do we now the most vividly desire it. And because our reason violently deters us from the brink, therefore do we the most impetuously approach it. There is no passion in nature so demoniacally impatient as that of him who, shuddering upon the edge of a precipice, thus meditates a plunge. To indulge for a moment in any attempt at thought is to be inevitably lost, for reflection but urges us to forbear, and therefore it is, I say, that we cannot if there be no friendly arm to check us, or if we fail in a sudden effort to prostrate ourselves backward from the abyss, we plunge prostate. and are destroyed. Uh, oh, you said prostrate, not prostate. Sorry. <laughs> the other uh, thing I thought was interesting was the, uh, where was it? Delight of horror. Delight of its horror. Sort of getting into that pleasure and pain, mm -hmm. pleasure and fear. And like you said, the... Uh, People like pain and fear, or they, they grow to like it, you know? Like jumping out of an airplane or bungee jumping or being or, into, you know, sexy BDSM stuff, you know? Or fear and lusting, Mondays, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern at The Scaly Show. That's right, 7.30 Western, 7.30 Pacific time. That's lust and fear. <laughs> lust and fear. 24-7. <laughs> There's your three fucking words for you. <laughs> it's good for you. We here on The Scaly Show, uh, streaming live here on Monday, we're talking about the voice in your head. The voice in your head. Yeah. And the, the imp of perversion, the call this, of the void. This imp getting you to meditate on a plunge, reaching out to that abyss, uh, which... <laughs> I'm excited for this last clip, so I don't want to spoil it, but um, there's there's so much to do with this over and over again. Everything that I have, most everything is listed in the in the show notes. I, I might have forgotten a video or two at this point, but, um, you know, it's all got to do with this idea of falling. And uh, I, I know that if you were to take the take the step off the off the bridge, off of the mountainside, whatever, you know that there's going to be a hard hard surface there. Um, in an uh, ultimate demise, right? But what's really there is this answer of whether or not it's going to be a void or not. You know, do it, are you going to find out? Are you teleported to the next dimension, or was it all just make believe, anyways? And your one and done is over. You're out. Because mm -hmm. you got that that sort of fucking fear going too. Yeah, which is ties into a fear of the unknown, yeah. which is. One of the greatest fears of all. At least one of the most exciting. Quirkus brought up Cthulhu, so uh, shout out to that. that. That ties into that. But yeah, the unknown of death. What what, what goes on? Hmm. But who knows? Uh, it's, uh, that's, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> I will say uh, uh, from this point on, the, the story kind of turns over to... Um, just because we're kind of hitting the mark. And uh, if, if we do want to listen to them, that's cool. But uh, the way it kind of wraps up, just because it still goes on for a little minute, is uh, the dude ends up murdering somebody. And his imp of perversion ends up getting him to commit to the murder. Like, that's, that's the thing that is, in his mind, forbidden. Because he was kind of getting off on the fact that he had gotten away with it at first. That... Uh, 
he was able to to do this and not get caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it ended up flipping on him, and he had to <laughs> to get off. He had to tell people, and mm-hmm. then which is also the imp of perversion. No, right? Both it's it's the killing, and then and it's also the the wanting to tell people is both the imp. I thought anyway, maybe not. It 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 is, but I think just on a greater scale, like it's just that voice telling you to do the things that can't be recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> I guess that's, uh, I, I did get a little too excited and I want to play, I want to play my other clip just because we, we were touching on that, uh, standing on the precipice, stand, meditating on the plunge and who better else to talk about it other than Jordan B. Peterson. No way. You got a J- but you go you into the, Oh dude, you know it. <laughs> Oh my God. We both got Jordan B. Peterson clips. Didn't even know it. Jesus Christ. Oh, there's this old idea that you go into the abyss. It's a Nietzschean idea that you can gaze into the abyss. You gaze long. And what you find in the abyss is a monster. Tolstoy wrote about that. That's the dragon at the bottom of the abyss, let's say. That's Satan himself, for that matter. And But if you go into that, into that as deeply as you can, what you find is you're, you, you find, you find, you find your, 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 your fragmented father in a, in a comatose condition, in a, in a, in a, in a desiccated and, and, and separated condition. And then you revivify that. Well, what does that mean? It means something. It means that if you look in the darkness, you find the light. That's one thing it means. And that the light really stands out against the darkness, but that the light is to be found in the darkness. So that's a very interesting thing. That's a quest narrative, but it means more than that. It means something fundamental. So we know, for example, that if you take yourself out of your current state of of predictability and safety, and you put yourself in a new situation, you'll learn, right? You'll You'll incorporate new information. So that's a cognitive issue. But that isn't all that happens. What happens is that new genes turn on within you and code for the production of new proteins. And that happens neurologically. New parts of you turn on. And so the idea is that if you can move yourself out into the world and push yourself out against a maximum array of challenges, more and more of you turn on, turns on. And and then the question would be, well, what would you be if all of you that could be turned on was turned on? And the answer would be, you would be the resurrection of the ancestral father. That's what you would be. And so that's why Christ says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the father except through me. What that means is that if you take on the unbearable burden of being voluntarily, then that transforms you into the ancestral father. And that's true. And so that's unbelievably optimistic because what it, it's so interesting because it's, it's dark beyond belief, right? It's to say, well, the world is characterized by suffering and by malevolence of a depth that's virtually beyond comprehension. But if you choose to comprehend that, what you discover in that is the light that destroys the darkness. And that's, well, that's, and that's really something to discover. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the discovery that, there isn't a discovery that's more profound than that. That's the search for the Holy Grail or the Philosopher's Stone, all of that. I was going to say, isn't that just that. fucking alchemy right there? Yeah, that's alchemy, and that's also uh, Buddhism, and it's also uh, Christianity. I mean, he's a Christian, JVP, but yeah, suffering. Life is suffering, and if you want to enjoy life, you have to... Well, with Buddhism, they they physically actually like enjoy suffering. like They inflict it on themselves to impermeate themselves to it in a way. With Christianity, it's like, just be humble and do your best. <laughs> you know? Right, and... Uh... But, 
you don't have to like be a monk. Jesus suffered for your sins, died yeah. on the cross. But the, just the whole like doctrine of Jesus, like the the God, um, the Sermon on the Mount, just the whole foundation of Christianity is just like you, you know, you're poor, you're destitute, life sucks. Do your best, be good to people anyway, even if things suck and life is shitty you still need to be a good person and you can't let it be an excuse to like be shitty and that essentially is i think buddhism as well they take it in a you know much different way that i could never even begin to reflect on but uh that's that to me i think is the idea then jordan b you know he he's big christian guy and he gets that he understands it in a very visceral visceral way not to be negative, but, you know, life is, is hard and you're going to get slammed with just unbelievable tragedy and you just have to deal with it. Yep. <laughs> and, and and life oh. ultimately does give you the tools to deal with tragedy a lot of the time. And, uh, and you do grow stronger from it. And it is that perseverance through hard times that if you, you know, you grow older, you look back on it, you look back on it with fondness. It was a time where you shined, where you were, you were the, the example of the resilience of humanity. You were, you were the poster child for the, just being a, a, a strong person in a hard time, which is a nice thing to have. And it does wonders for you, but it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy that clip. Um, so I, I think that's where I would like to leave it off for tonight. Um, I still have plenty of stuff if we ever want to revisit this. That's uh, like the gets into the pleasure and the pain um, and the death drive specifically by Freud. We didn't really touch any of that stuff tonight. Um, I don't know. Was there a was there anything that you want to hit on? We have one more scream mail sitting in our inbox. Well, before we hit the scream mail, which, by the way, thank you, whoever left that scream in, uh, just, I guess, a parting thought on what you think about the voice in your head. Do you, did you learn anything? Is there anything new you developed in the idea? You know, this is, this is one that I was excited about, but when it came time to actually wrap, not even the argument, but the just the direction it was hard to kind of grasp on everything because it it on one hand it's a very comfortable place uh because i often like i'm stuck at a fucking <laughs> uh well I've, I've let me back up for a second there's been plenty of moments in my life where it is enjoyable to just think of the most ludicrous things you could do to remove yourself permanently out of a situation. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not in this. And, and that's something that uh, um, like the uh, call of the void clip explains is the call of the void is something that it's not, it's not this um, expression of suicidal tendencies. It's this body reaffirming the drive to live. It's reaffirming the, um, the necessary, <laughs> It's reaffirming staying safe. It recognizes the things that can go wrong and gets you thinking about them so that you so that they don't happen. <clears throat> and uh, mm -hmm. one of the quotes I pulled is uh, the moment of truth about the about the human freedom to choose between life and death. So it, it's also adding that, like, there's a little bit of a power boost almost to it. It's like, yeah, I know I can do that. I can totally do that. I'm not. I could. Mm. Could stick my finger in 400 amps. I but could do it. Won't. it. <laughs> but I could. I it could. gives you power. 
that's that's real freedom yeah i get yeah and I, I mean it's um so if it works in that way like why can't we start this wildly successful podcast you know <laughs> i could i will <laughs> well then do it why don't you Jeez. <coughs> it's um uh. i i like uh i like the westworld stuff that's um i i i was the person that sort of um I couldn't get into the second season, but I really, really appreciate all the symbology that they laid out in the show with uh, the way they sort of illustrate navigating the the inner mind Mm -hmm. Um, just because it is confusing and convoluted and it never shuts the fuck up. (laughs) Right. So, you know, it's like, how can you examine something that's always that's always going and examine something with its own thing. You're using a tool to examine itself and it's confusing. Yeah. Where's the, uh, where is that? Westworld really did drop off though. The first season was fantastic. Second season was okay. And then after that it was unwatchable. Go back through my clip list. This is the other problem that I'm running into. Where in the fuck is it? Evan Rachel Wood is so good though. So, so what is causing the call of the void? This guy. There's so many YouTubers that just have this sort of pattern to it. Well, Jennifer Haynes seems to think it could be one of those strange mixes between the conscious and the unconscious mind. And at a point, like, I just, it's its very off-putting when you're sitting here trying to go through a ton of these videos. Mm. So I, I kind of disconnected myself in a, in a lot of ways. But um, I like the Socrates. Um, I like the Socrates angle. I, I thought that was pretty cool. That was the first I had heard anything about that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like it too. It's and and it goes on. I mean, obviously the Romans went to adopt it, and then from there everybody else adopted it in their own way, and everybody has their own word for it. It's really it's really cool, and it's something that's just always been around, you know. Yeah, and it's something that I hope will always be around, but I don't know, man. Sometimes I wonder if that's like the ultimate fucking end game is to remove the consciousness out, out of the equation. It seems to be the, the bad guy's game plan is to, uh, to at least like, what would be the word? Uh, you're trying to stifle it, trying to stifle independent thought, consciousness, Right, and like once you start controlling the language, you can control the thoughts. You can mm. fuck totally shape away a person. Fucking envisions their reality. And the truth is, is most people want to play for a winning team. And uh, if if you know the tides are going a certain way, smart money goes that way. We can sit here and we can bitch about it and fight against it, but at the end of the day, the house wins. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we burned down the house. <laughs> <laughs> Burning down the house. Well, we are an anti-house podcast. Uh, we are sponsored by anti-housers. Yep. They go around and demolish houses. Yep. Uh, use promo code schemes to get a free uh, half of your house demolished. Yep. Now, is that top half or like left, right half? It's the su- southwestern half. Southwest half. So you have a diagonal slice. You t- they turn your house into like a PB and J. They cut it right down the diagonal. I've got PBJ on my mind. <laughs> I've got PB and J on my mind. <laughs> Crack. Anyway, yeah, uh, that yeah, I think that about sounds good. Would you say, Booberry? 
Oh, let's do this last screen mail. Let's, uh, oh, this, please. Yeah, let's hit it up. Excellent. Oh, that was a good one. My man here, I think, was giving a callback to what you said about the platonic scales. Oh, right. He, oh, he was dear. identifying the, the, the fifth, the one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. One, two, three, four, fifth. <laughs> fifth, 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 fifth. I bleed the fifth. Ooh, the fifth. Mm-hmm. And then a real scream in there for good measure. Thank you very much, caller. Yeah, that, fifth. that kind of spooked me a little bit. Like, good. oh, shit. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to do. Excellent uh, knowledge of Greek arithmetic, caller. That was good shit. Um, I think uh, I got an idea, and uh, we'll talk about it next week. Keep it, keep it a surprise. Um, Ooh, yeah. But in that regards, let's uh, get a little music and get up on out of yeah. this motherfucker. Yeah. Thanks to everybody in the green room. If you want to get in the green room, then go onto the IRC Zero Node Network and go on the hashtag Green Room, son. Get in there. We got coffee. We got donuts, even if you aren't vaccinated. We have clandestine substances of all natures. So please come on down to the green room and join us in the schemes. Monday nights, baby. That's it. 730, 930, 1030 Eastern. 1030 Eastern, 930 Central, 730 Pacific. 612-263-SEXY. Leave us a scream mail. Call up that creep phone. Yeah, scream into our voicemail box. You know it'll feel good. Do it while you're making dinner. Hmm. If you got any better ideas than us, shoot us an email at behind the schemes at protonmail.com. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll send all your complaints to Booberry. That's the one. Fuck that guy. Speaking of which, this has been Booberry, Mothman of the Miniocalypse. And my name is Lavish, and I'm over here on the left coast somewhere. That's it, everybody. Have a good one. Job us.